those folks who just can't get enough. If they want to go, then maybe they can. Maybe the church is a group of religious individuals who like to get together for extracurricular spiritual activities and the like. But do I really have to be a part of this group? Do I really have to assemble with people of like precious faith? Or isn't that something that people just decided to do long after Jesus? If you've ever had those thoughts or known anybody who's had those thoughts, you're not in the minority. In fact, research has shown that there's been a steady increase in our society of those who have put themselves in the classification of give me Jesus, but not the church. I did research on this in 2016. They found that the I love Jesus and not the church group of individuals have said that they have a deeply personal and spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ that doesn't require them to gather together or get into groups with other people. But before we slam the door face and maybe count her as insignificant, we should appreciate the fact that God has wired us in such a way that you and I were made for community. It is not God's will that we live out our spiritual lives in isolation from one another, but more than we might even realize we need one another. I believe sometimes the apathy and sort of the careless spirit that may come as we think about assembling and we think about God's people in the church comes from our failure to appreciate the church. But from heaven's perspective, according to God, the church is not some cult. The church is not optional. The church is not even this brick and mortar in buildings in God's mind. The church is essential. Because the church is the people of God. We're not the first people to struggle with this. Before Jesus went back to heaven in Acts chapter 1, the apostles wondered, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were thinking physically. And as they preached throughout the first century in places like Thessalonica, people thought that Christians, the church, was a group of troublemakers. Acts 17 and verse 6. And they were even called a sect in Acts 28 and verse 22. But none of those things were true. If God gave us the church and he did, it's important that we look to heaven for our view of the church and what we should expect as we try to figure out what exactly is the church. And while there are many places we could go and many passages we could look at, I would argue that the place in the New Testament that focuses on this the most acutely would be the book of Ephesians. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesians. What we're going to do in my portion of the lesson is look at a few places in Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 3 and notice briefly five markers that help us answer this question, what exactly is the church? Because I believe if we answer that question, it'll help us to see that we're blessed to be a part of it. And if we're not, that we should desire to be among God's people because it matters to God and therefore it should matter to us. And then Neil will come and talk to us about who exactly the church is for. Number one, what is the church? The church is the family of God. Look at Ephesians chapter two and notice in verse 19, Paul says you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the saints and members of the household of God. While it is true that every one of us must give account of himself to God, Romans 14 and verse 12, it is not true that God wants us to come to him giving that account, having never been encouraged by other people that believe the truth and that love Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 24, the Bible says, consider one another to provoke and stir each other up for love and good works. And here, Paul says, the church is God's family. Jews and Gentiles in the first century came from different backgrounds and different places. But when they became Christians, they all pressed into this same group, this same family, God's family. In first Timothy, chapter three and verse 15, Paul calls the church of the living God, the household of God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Right here in Ephesians, chapter two, that's how connected Paul says that we are. In verse 19, he says we're fellow citizens. In verse 20. 
He says we're built upon the same foundation. In verse 21, we join together. And in verse 22, we make this building or this temple in which God dwells through his spirit. More than optional, Paul says we need one another as we are God's family and we're his representatives. No matter who you are or where you're from, you were born into a family. You might not know a lot about your family. You may wish that you knew more. But the reality is, if you come into this earth, you don't get to decide this. It's just the way it works. You're a part of a family, a family that was in existence long before you were born and a family that will still exist long after earthly time expires. And everyone who has been born again by the spirit, John chapter three and verse five, it's not optional. You come into the family of God, a family that was in existence long before you were born and a family that will still be here long after our earthly time expires. What is the church? Paul says the church is the family of God. Harvard Public School of Health ran a study in 2020. and Here's what they found. They found that people that are associated with religious gatherings. They say they probably will live longer. In fact, they said people that are associated with religious gatherings will not suffer as often from what they call deaths of despair. And what they categorized as deaths of despair were individuals that died from suicide, from drug overdose or from alcohol poisoning. They say if you associate with religious people, you have this positive outlook, this inner peace and this spiritual connectedness with other people. Essentially, Harvard was saying religion is good for you. But heaven knew it before Harvard did. And so God says, when you obey the gospel, it's good for you to be around people who believe and know the truth. Acts 2 and verse 47 says the early Christians praised God and had favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding them to the church every day. Those individuals who were being saved. What is the church? It's the family of God. When someone becomes a Christian, God says, you're in my family. Welcome home. Number two, what is the church? The church is the body of Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter three. And would you notice verse six? Paul says this is the mystery that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and members of the same body, partakers of the promise of the gospel through Jesus Christ. What is the church? The second thing Paul says is it's the body of Christ. This is Paul's favorite verbal metaphor for what the church is. Just briefly march with me through the book of Ephesians and notice all the places where Paul calls the church the body. Go to Ephesians chapter one. And notice in Ephesians chapter one, verses 22 and verse 23, Paul speaks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, God put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. But notice chapter two and verse 16 in Ephesians chapter two and verse 16. Paul says that Jews and Gentiles have access to God the same way. And they both are reconciled to God in his body. Ephesians chapter three and verse six, he says that the Jews and Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of his body. And then in chapter five and verse twenty three, he says Jesus gave himself for the church. Ephesians five twenty three. He's the savior of it, which is his body. When Paul wanted to communicate how much the church meant to God, he would often use this metaphor. The church is the body of Christ. Now, if we have someone who's close to us, we sometimes will say about them, this person is my right hand man. What does that mean? It means that you can trust this person. It means you can rely on them. It means you have a close association with them. When Paul says that the church is the body of Christ, what does he mean? Paul means that we're connected to God and to one another. 
It means that we look to Jesus as our head for our direction and we together are his hands and feet in the world, accomplishing his will and his bidding. Romans 12, 4 through 8, God gifts us with what we need to do his will in his world. We're the body of Christ. It's a rich blessing, but it's also a weighty responsibility. It's a blessing because we get to partner with God as he does his work in the world. But it's also a responsibility because though Jesus has ascended back to heaven, those that are members of the body of Christ, we reflect him out in the world. And though it's been about 20 years now, I can still hear my mom saying to me and my two brothers when we went to school, don't you go to that school and embarrass me. She would say, listen, don't go to that school. Act like you got some sense. My mom never attended school at the same time I did. But what she was saying is, listen, you're my representative. Don't embarrass me. And Jesus says to us in the church, you're my body. They can't see me, but they can see you. Don't embarrass me. What is the church? It's the body of Christ. The church, when somebody comes into it, God says, you're in my family. Welcome home. The church is the body of Christ. When someone comes into it, God says, you're a part of me. Hold me up. People are looking at you to see how you behave. But just like a person couldn't detach themselves from their body or from their head and still have life, so it is with us spiritually. If we would truly live, we've got to be connected to Jesus and we've got to be connected to his people. What is the church? Number three, it's a display of God's wisdom. Look at Ephesians chapter three, verses nine and ten, and notice that. Paul says that God displays his wisdom. The manifold wisdom of God is made known through the church to the heavenly places and the powers by Jesus Christ. Ephesians three and verse 10. The church God's wisdom throughout the world. Business Insider did a study and they cataloged who they considered to be the 40 smartest people of all time. And on that list, there were people you might expect. There was there was Shakespeare and there was Da Vinci and, of course, Albert Einstein. Our world likes to talk a lot about individuals who are smart or intelligent. But the Bible talks a lot more about wisdom. And what if somebody said to you, how do you know God is wise? What would you say? You might say, look at his creation. Behold, how many are your works and wisdom have you made them all? The earth is full of your goodness. Psalm 104, verse 24 You might say, look at his prophetic ability. He can tell the future. He knows the end from the beginning. Isaiah 46 and verse 10. But according to Ephesians chapter three, it would also make sense for us to look at the church. The church is a display of God's wisdom throughout the world. Verse 10 says it displays God's wisdom in the heavenly places. That is the church is God's bragging rights in the heavenly arena as God brings into his family Jews and Gentiles. Slave and free, rich and poor. And he pulls back the curtain, so to speak, and says to those in the heavenly places, I truly am wise. No one else can do this. And the question is, how does he do it? It's through his wisdom. God knew that you and I and everybody in the world needed the same thing. And he located that forgiveness and that reconciliation in one place, in a person. Jesus Christ, John 14 and verse six, Jesus is the way God puts what we need in one place. And as we rush to that one place and one person to find it, we not only find him, but in so doing, we find each other. And there we are located in the body of Christ. It truly is a wise and marvelous plan. Paul would say the wisdom of God is wiser than man and his foolishness is stronger than men. First Corinthians 125, the church displays the wisdom of God. It shows us how brilliant God is. And that he puts us in his family right where we need to be so that we might be the people he would have us to be in his world. 
jewelers talk about how you can turn a dime in different places and how the light rays are broken as they hit this prism shaped thing and how you can see the various colors that make up a diamond. Paul says, as you look at the church, you can see the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God. There are layers to God's wisdom. And one of those layers is in the church. If God is showing his wisdom to the world through the church to remove myself from the church is to attempt to make a fool of God. And that's a no, no. God wants me in his family because God is saying you are my bragging rights in the heavenly arena. I want people to know how wise I am because all of these people from all of these places are in the same family. What is the church? It's a display of God's wisdom. Here's number four. What is the church? It's a part of God's eternal plan. This may be the most, the least known fact about the church. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 and notice verse 11. It says, according to his eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus. This says about the church, the church was always in God's plan. You know, we turn our Bible to the very beginning. We turn our Bible to Genesis chapter 1 and we read, in the beginning, God created the what? The heavens and the earth. And we say, well, that's when God started thinking about doing stuff. But according to Ephesians chapter three, the church was in God's mind before he ever said, let there be light before he ever said, let us make man. The church was always a part of God's plan. The Bible says God is eternal. Psalm 90 and verse two and the church is as eternal as God is. So long as far back as you can go and find God in his mind was this idea that one day he would establish the church and all saved people would be a part of this family. It was always in God's mind. It's a part of his eternal purpose, his eternal plan. If you flip forward in your Bible to Ephesians chapter one and verse four, you'll read Paul writing these words. According as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This is what God has always wanted to do. And we get to be a part of it. Said about Earl Woods when Tiger was under one years old, one year old. He was outside playing with golf clubs and he swung. And the way he hit the ball, Earl ran back in and told his wife, honey, we've got a genius. And from that moment, he started to train Tiger to be one of golf's greatest. He started before he was one year old. You might say if you look at his life and his sports career that he actually hit the target. But God started before that. Before the foundation of the world, God was putting this plan together. What is the church? It's a part of God's eternal purpose. This takes it out of the realm of human ingenuity where people come together and start the church. It was always God's plan. But it also means that it's a part of God's plan that everybody be a part of it. Sometimes people say, what's God's purpose for my life? Well, that may be different for us in various aspects of our life. But one thing that is God's purpose for everybody's life, according to Ephesians three and verse 11, is that you become a member of his family, that you become a part of his church. When somebody enters the church, God says, you're in my family. Welcome home. When someone becomes a part of God's family, God says, you're a part of my body. Hold me up. When someone becomes a member of the church, God says, I've had you on my mind for a long time and I've got plans for you. Now, here's the fifth and final thing in the first part of this lesson. What is the church? It's made up of those who glorify God. Verse 20, Paul says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or even think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all generations, world without end, forever. Amen. 
Paul just breaks into this chorus of praise. Do you see it in the text? He says, we can approach God now because we're in his family. We're a part of his body. And Paul not only praises God, but he pulls in everybody from the church and he says, come on, join in this chorus with me. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Psalm 107 and verse 2 is right to do this. The church is made up of those who glorify God. I've talked to people who sometimes miss this and they say, you know, you people in the church, I'll tell you the problem. You think you're better than other people and you're just like us. In fact, sometimes you're worse. Sometimes they're right. But Paul doesn't say we're to glorify God because we're special or we're great. He says, no, if we're really thinking about it properly, we know God's great. And because of that, we glorify him and we do it through the church. It starts now, but it'll continue throughout all eternity. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Galatians 1 and verse 5. And through the church, we're those who glorify God with our lives. As we realize we get to partner with God. We're on his team. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9. What shall we render to God for all of his benefits toward us? Psalm 116 and verse 12. We don't deserve to be here. But by his grace we are. Now maybe you hear all of this. You say, well, it's great. A person can be a part of God's family. Good for them. A person can be a part of God's body and be connected. Well, that's great for them. They're a part of God's show of his wisdom as well as a part of his eternal plan. And they even glorify God. Good for him. But what about me? I know those blessings apply to other people, but where do I fit in in this? Could God really have blessings in store for me? Who gets to qualify for this? Neil's going to come and preach to us about exactly who the church is for and where we fit in. The Hilton Honors Hotel has 130,000 employees. Airbnb has 6,132. But did you know that there are more rooms available through Airbnb than there are through Hyatt Hotel Chain? In fact, did you know that there are more rooms available in Airbnb than there are in the top five hotel chains combined? Airbnb had a revolutionary thought, and the thought was, let's put the hotel industry into the hands of the everyday person. Not everybody has tens of millions of dollars just laying around that they can invest in buying expensive land and building uh, a luxury hotel. And so that model was put into place. Because they were convinced that anybody with a smartphone could rent a house out of their, uh, rent a room out of their house. And that's what's happened. Did you know that four million listings were made available on Airbnb before they ever built an external facility? And right now there are 5.6 million listings available through Airbnb and a billion people have stayed in an Airbnb and I suppose that includes you and me or at least most of us. When you think about Airbnb's model, they, they were investigating into how they approached their business and they actually updated their mission statement. And the first part of the mission statement of Airbnb reads that Airbnb wants to create a world in which anyone can belong anywhere. Has it been successful? 
Well, they just recorded their most lucrative year on record for them. From March of 2021 until March of 2022, they earned a record $6.61 billion. And by the way, since that time, from March till now, their revenue percentage has increased by 70%. As they think about how they're approaching all of this, they believe that they have found a winning model. Who is the church for? God's given a mission statement for us. He has given it to us in places like Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Mark 16, 15 and 16, and Luke chapter 24, verse 44 through 47. And his mission statement is that he wanted to create an organization where anyone can belong. And as he writes the book of Ephesians, he's trying to convey that message to us. When we think about the church and all that Hiram has told us about it from the book of Ephesians, all that Scripture says that the church is, we may say that that's great. That's wonderful. But that seems to me that the church is a place for spiritual millionaires and religious billionaires and not for me. When you begin to read the book of Ephesians, I wish we had more time to drill down and to look at all of the blessings that come in the church. In the book of Ephesians, we see that in the church, we are those who are chosen by God. We find that in the church, that we are individuals who have been predestined, predetermined by God for a particular thing. That we have been those in the church who have been given redemption. That we are those who have been given an inheritance. That's just a few of the things that are just said in Ephesians chapter 1. When we began to examine the church and all the privileges and all the characteristics that that make it up, we may look at ourselves and we say, that's not for me. But the Apostle Paul wants us to understand that the church is for the everyday person. For anyone who is equipped with a desire and who wants to do the will of God, the church is for you. The church is something that God wants to be for you. Who is the church for? What I'd like for us to do is to look at just a few biblical answers and we're going to stay in the book of Ephesians and we're going to find five. I believe there's many more than five groups of individuals in the book of Ephesians. Let's look at five. First of all, the church is for those who are dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 5. When you look at the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is talking about what happens before we are in Christ. And as Hiram has showed us, to be in Christ is to be in his church. And as he describes the folks who are outside the body of Christ, he says with regard to them that they had gone beyond what God said that they needed to do. Or they had gone in the way that God had forbidden. That their thoughts, that their attitudes and their words and their actions violated the very heart and the will of God. That they had strayed from the path that God laid out for us in this life. Now why would the Apostle Paul say this? Well, we think about who it is that he says it to. He says it to people who are actually in his church. But this is what it was for them before. He says, there was a time when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but he made you alive. Ephesians 2 and verse 4. He saved you. He supplied what you could not supply for yourself. That unmerited favor, that sacrifice, that gift we call grace. He calls grace. 
And then there's a response on our part in which in responding we have the benefits of that grace. And that's identified for us as faith. And then he gives us a work, a job to do despite our past. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. When we consider what he says with regard to this, we say, well, that sounds really good, but I don't know that there's a place for those of us who struggle with sin. And it is as if God, through Paul, anticipated that we might say that. And he says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, he says, "...among whom we also walked in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." The Apostle Paul would say to those folks, like we would say to one who would say that that sounds too good to be true. It can't be for me because I struggle with sin. I want you to recognize that as you look around at the people who are here, every single one of us, we're struggling with problems and we're struggling with temptation. I don't know if you can look and see it this way, but you find yourself sitting right now in the middle of a spiritual intensive care unit. We are all on life support. And it's the life that God gives us through Jesus Christ. Who is the church for? The church is for individuals who are dead in trespasses and sins, but don't want it to stay that way. Who want to have life, eternal life. That's who the church is for. But then number two, as we look through a further part of Ephesians, we find that the church is also for those who are dejected. Maybe you look at your life and if I were to ask you, when was the last time you experienced disappointment? Maybe you'd say, well, let me look at my watch. Because we don't go very long. We go through discouragement. We go through disappointment. We go through rejection. And we go through failure. It's a part of living life as much as breathing in and breathing out. But the Apostle Paul focuses in on our greatest problem, our greatest struggle, and our greatest sickness. The Apostle Paul talks in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 about those who are struggling with being spiritually down and out, who are enduring a spiritual sickness. And the way that he puts it there for us is that you were without God, you were without Christ, and you were without hope. You are at the end of your spiritual rope. And to be in a condition like that is truly a difficult place to be. What is it like to be without hope and without God and without Christ? The Apostle Paul would say in another place, in 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse 13, that when you lose a loved one and they're not in Christ, then you grieve like those, unlike those who have hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 If you don't have God in this world, you are left with something different, something inferior. What he says are not God's. Galatians chapter 4 in verse 8. That if you find yourself not knowing God, what you're driven by are the the things that you instinctively feel. And that's not going to be sufficient. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 5. You see, He has set apart the church to be a place where we can have a place of honor. Where we can find a, uh, a, a strength that comes. Why would the Apostle Paul say this to them? That you were without God, you were without Christ, and you were without hope. He wanted them to know how far that He had brought them. He wanted them to know who they felt their indebtedness to. It was God who opened the door and allowed this to happen. And not only then will we feel gratitude when we understand that God feels the dejection. He gives us hope. He gives us a God. But that we'll want to share that with others. 
Who is the church for? It's for those who are struggling with the dejections, the disappointments, the failures and problems of this life. And the greatest problem being our sin problem. He wants the solution to be in His Son and in the church. But then third, He indicates to us that the church is for those who feel discarded. When you come to read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, the verses that we looked at in the first part of this lesson, in verse 19 through 22, it's a reminder about how the church began. The church began with an ethnic group of people known as the Jews. Those are the very first Christians. And along with the Jews came the Gentiles later. God's plan was ultimately for everybody in every place to have access to the gospel. And by the way, in the Bible, Gentiles are simply the non-Jews. And I have to wonder, what was it like to be the first Gentiles in the congregation? These first Gentiles that are coming into a church filled with Jews, who had a Jewish mindset and who had a Jewish outlook on life, Well, the Apostle Paul understood this too. And God, as he moves Paul to write, says, Listen, to those of you who are already there, who are in the body of Christ, and these new folks come into the body, I want you to help them to feel accepted. And to do that, he shows us where all of us are before we come into Christ. He says there's two words that describe all of us before we come into the church. We are strangers and we're aliens. That first term, stranger, is a term that we might think of in this way. If you ever go overseas, you got to have a passport. And maybe in some cases you have to have a tourist visa in order to get in. That's the idea of this word. You go into this other country that you're not a citizen of, and when you go in, you get to visit, but you don't have any of the national rights. You're a stranger. And then there's this word alien. And that word alien is a word more in line with the idea that you are going into another country and maybe you have a green card and maybe you have a work visa. You're allowed to be in that country. You have some of the privileges that belong, but you're not a citizen. The Apostle Paul says that here's a wonderful thing that happens when you come into the church. No matter who you are, when you come into the church, you are made a fellow citizen with all the other members of the church. Here's what that means. That the moment that you become a Christian, you are just as much a citizen with the rights and privileges than a Christian who has been a Christian for 60 years. You are just as much a citizen in the household of God as the preachers and the elders. You have equal rights. But it also means that when you come into the church, you are made a member in the household of God. You know, there may be those who are third and fourth and tenth generation members of the church. But the moment and the day in which you come into Christ, you are just as precious and important and special to God as anyone else is. The Apostle Paul is telling us something. F.F. Bruce kind of analyzes it this way. We go from being passport holders to being fellow citizens. We go from being tolerated immigrants to being blood kin in the body of Christ. You know, in 1979, the Pittsburgh Pirates won the World Series, and they were an eclectic and incredible bunch. And and they attribute their winning that world championship to how close they were as a team. In fact, they were so close, they had a theme song, the Pointer Sisters uh, disco hit, We Are Family. 
It's such so iconic that a lot of us still know that song. If you're a baseball fan, you might even, if you're old enough, associate it with that. But you know, we have a song. I love our song. We're part of a family that's been born again. Part of a family whose love knows no end. For Jesus has saved us and made us His own. Now we're part of a family that's on its way home. And sometimes we laugh together and sometimes we cry. Sometimes we share together heartaches and sighs. Sometimes we dream together of how it will be when we all get to heaven, God's family. It's not a platitude. It's not something that we sing with our lips but don't feel with our hearts. Let me get personal for just a moment. Kathy and I were serving God 1,200 miles away from here in Denver, Colorado. And we were extended an invitation three years ago this weekend to come and to spend some time with you. To look at the prospect of our working together. And what we learned in a very short period of time is how special this church family is. Now there are some of you, many of you, and we're so grateful for your presence who are here at the invitation of friends and family and you already know how special and wonderful they are. But there are men and women and children who make up the body of Christ here who are special. It's part of God's plan. Maybe we feel discarded by the world and in other circumstances of life, but God designed the church to be a place where we have an acceptance. We are part of God's family in the church. But then fourth, the church is for those who are done with darkness. Go over to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 and following. The Apostle Paul is talking about what the old man life is like. The old man life is simply the life that we live before we come into Christ. And as the Apostle Paul begins to describe that, he paints some pictures for us about the world. And the world... As the Bible uses that so often, it's not talking about people as much as it is a mindset, a force, an approach to life. But he's talking about people who have followed that approach to life. And he says that their minds are consumed with trivial things, things that don't matter beyond this life. And as he describes how they would approach life, he would say about them that they have no interest in the things of God. They have access to a Bible, but they don't want to look inside and to see about God and to see the evidence that is found there. That they are not uh, awakened to the pains of conscience. They are not concerned about eternal punishment, and they're not concerned about the will of God. And the way the Apostle Paul says that is, is that these folks are past feeling. That's the way that it is before we come into Christ. It's the old man way of living life. And as we see the Apostle Paul telling us this, there are ways that we may respond to that. Maybe we think for a while, we have some coping tools. But those coping tools, if they're not the Lord's guidance, are only going to go so far and they'll only last so long. What we find out is that if we are walking in darkness, that it's a hard road to travel. Solomon in the long ago in Proverbs 13 and verse 15 says that the way of the transgressor is hard. The the parable of the prodigal son is with regard to an illustration God is making about one who goes into the far country of sin and they find themselves in a situation where Rabbi Zacharias said it this way. 
That sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. It will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. It promises one thing. It delivers another. And the Apostle Paul says that the church is for those who are done with that, who have found, I've tried the road of sin and found its prospects all deceived. It's not what it was cracked up to be. And I want something different. And the Apostle Paul says the good news is that you can have something different. You can have something better. You can have something more. And the way he describes that for us is it's like putting off the old man and it's putting on the new. Think about in the middle of this, one of the the hottest summer we've been through. And you think about how you go outside and you work hard every day. And maybe you're hunting or fishing or you're working hard in the yard and you come in and you're covered in mud and dirt. What we're not going to do is we're in that condition is we're not going to go out to eat without coming in and changing and getting clean. We're not going to go to the movies. We're not going to go to the mall. We want to wash up and, and we don't want that sweat and that grime to be shared with other people. The way the Apostle Paul puts it is this way. You can strip off the old man and you can put on the new. And this happens in the body of his son. The church is for those who are dealing with the thing that we all deal with. And that's the darkness of sin in our lives. But who are done with that. But then the church is also for those who are depleted by the world. The longer I live, the more I hear people say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we struggle with a whole lot more than fatigue and ailment in this life. The Apostle Paul says that we find ourselves standing up against forces and powers that are stronger than us. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 But what the Apostle Paul encourages you and me to do is to stand firm. He says it three times in Ephesians 6, verse 11, verse 13 and 14. But he doesn't just lay something out there for us and say, hey, do your best. He says, I'm going to give you the equipment so that you can do it. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an armor. I'm going to give you every piece of spiritual equipment that you need in order to be able to survive and to fight in this world. And so he lays that out for us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 through 17. But then he ends the book with an element that we don't often talk about in Ephesians. He says, I'm going to give you a resource in other people. It's the idea of one another. And you find how much in the second half of the book that he refers to the one another relationship that happens in the church. He says, in the church, what you'll find is that you have a group who are patient with and who bear with one another. Ephesians 4 and verse 2. He says, what you have in the church are those who recognize that we are members one of another. Ephesians 4 and verse 25. In the church, you have an institution full of people who are those who are kind to one another. Ephesians 4.32. Who encourage one another. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. And who submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. What he suggests is that there is a support that can be found in the body of Christ that cannot be found anywhere else. The world, that system of thought, is not going to provide the support that we need. But in the church, we have that. That's who the church is for, for those who feel depleted by the world. The church is for those who are dead in sins. Because in the church, you have the opportunity for for new life. And you know what? Romans 3.23 tells us that that's all of us. It's something we all need. But then the church is for those who feel dejected, who are dealing with 
the problems of this life. And you know, the Bible tells us that's all of us. Man that is born of woman is a few days and is full of trouble. Job chapter 14 and verse 1. The church is for those who feel discarded by the world. Who feel like they don't have a place. And really, according to 1 Peter 2 and verse 11, that ought to be all of us. We're pilgrims and we're strangers in this world. But He's given us a safe haven in the church. It indicates to us that the church is for those who are done with darkness. Sin is very wearying. And God has a place for us to have that life support together. And then the church is for those who are depleted by this world, who are up against the struggles and problems of this world, and that's all of us. And God's given us the church. In the summer of 2017, on a whim, Carl and I decided that we were going to go on a little trip. Uh, Frontier Airlines was having a sale for uh, airline tickets, a dollar apiece. And so we took advantage of that. We got two tickets, and we left Denver on a Friday afternoon. We knew we'd be back in our own bed on Saturday night, so we flew and we landed in Bismarck, North Dakota, the center of the universe. And when we got out of there, we rented a car, and we took off to Cardiff, Saskatchewan. We spent the night in a bed and breakfast that doubled as an ice cream parlor, and that was cool, but really the main event was in the next province over. So we jumped in our car, and we went over to a place called Melita, Manitoba. It was the reason for the trip. We were going to go to the Melita Banana Days Festival. We found out that we were the only Americans that attended that year. Or maybe ever, I don't know. And we walked around to every booth. You know what we did not see all day long? A banana. I was embarrassed to find out that the Melita Banana Day Festival is named in honor of the fact that they're in a moderate climate. And so it's the Banana Belt. We got in our car, we drove back to America, and we came back home. There is nothing more disappointing than thinking that you're going for one thing and getting another. When you think about the world, the world promises us one thing. All of our life, we're being told that this is what you should expect if you follow the way that we're thinking. And let me tell you, 100% of the time that what it promises is what it will not deliver. But when it comes to the church, there is a promise that's made that the church is a place where anyone can belong. That means it's for people, not who are perfect, but for people who believe in God's eternal plan. Ephesians 3, 9-11. In summation, and maybe we could have done it more simply, the church is for you. The church is for me. Jesus says, with almost the last breath of the Bible, whosoever will, let him come. Let us say that we would love for you to be a part of this church family here, the church that was described by Hiram so well in the first part of this lesson. God wants you to be a part of it. He invites you. It may be that you have been thinking about that and you realize your need to be a part of that body, to have all those spiritual blessings in Christ. We want to encourage you. Jeremy's going to get up and he's going to lead us in a song. We sometimes refer to it as a song of encouragement or a song of invitation. It is a song to encourage you that if you've been contemplating making a decision to become a child of God or maybe to be restored as a Christian who has lived away from God and wants to come back home, that that you can respond publicly. We would love that. This is a loving church.
I challenge you that if that's your need, you'll find people all around you, put their arms around you to love you and encourage you. Maybe you need to do that. We have that forum, that opportunity in these next few moments, but it's always available. We're always here. We'd like to help you in any way we can. Maybe you want to study the Bible further. Maybe you'd like to know more about the church family here. Maybe there's some other way that we can help you. But if you need to make that known in a way that we can help you and assist you tangibly, we would encourage you to come right now as we stand and sing.